Hey guys, how's everybody doing? This is Craig from Bass Lessons Melbourne. Welcome to the Player Profile Podcast. This is episode 60, believe it or not. Um, and I'm very happy that on this episode I'm featuring the amazing Kavi Rastigar. Um, so Kavi is probably most well known as the bass player for Kneebody, who are... Um, a quintet kind of based around LA. Uh, if you don't know <laughs> what Kneebody sound like, then the best thing is just to go and look them up. It's hard to describe, but essentially it's awesome, instrumental, crazy fusion, but not fusion in that sense that you might think of it, style music. Um, but as well as being the bass guy for Kneebody, uh, he plays regularly with John Legend. He's recorded with Beck, Shania Twain, Ringo Starr, Colin Hay from Men at Work, um, uh, and Sia. So there's a the bit of an Australian connection there. But he's also written um, songs with and for Bruno Mars, CeeLo Green, Michelle and Diggy Ocello, um, Kimbra. So the Australasian connection continues. So it was really cool to um, hang with Kavi again via Zoom because we're still in the middle of the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus lockdown here in Melbourne and globally. Um, so we recorded this maybe um, maybe two months ago now, actually, month and a half. I've been pretty busy um, launching a single with my band, which I'll talk about in a little minute. But yeah, Kavi... Um, Heavy, heavy musician, really, really nice guy. <laughs> I think is a great way of summing him up. Um, we chat about all kinds of things, obviously, um, but of his journey, his story, his influences. Um, we get into some No Doubt territory. Um, I was a massive fan of No Doubt. Um, talking about composing, uh, a whole bunch of stuff. So. It was really interesting. He was very generous with his time. This one clocks up around two hours. So I sincerely hope that you stick it out because there's lots of good stuff in here. Um, the music that you're hearing uh, during this intro is my band Pickpocket's brand new single called How About It. You can find it um, on Spotify, Apple Music, all those kinds of places. Also Bandcamp if you want to actually download it and own it forever. So just look for Pickpocket or Pickpocket Funk. Sometimes you need to clarify that, otherwise you might find a Hungarian metal band. Um, also, as per usual, these podcasts are supported in part by the awesome guys over at F-Bass who have been handcrafting... Um, guitars and basses for over 40 years offering contemporary and vintage inspired designs so if you're in the market for a new instrument um, I highly recommend going and having a look at the um, F-Bass website there is so many beautiful instruments coming out Canada at the moment all right um, guys thanks for listening to these podcasts uh, sorry I've been a bit patchy with the um, <clears throat> number of them lately but that's just the way life goes I guess if you enjoy it please you know like subscribe share um, all the usual stuff maybe leave, leave a review if you can figure that out uh, I would 
very much appreciate it. All right, so without further ado, here is episode 60, Cavi Rastiger. Hello everybody, this is Craig from Base Lessons Melbourne and for today's player profile, I am joined by Cavi Rastiger. Hey, hey Craig, hey everybody, thanks for having me. <laughs> Normally I would do, uh, you know, shake your hand, but um, you can't really do that anymore. No, we don't do You know, I was against it to begin with. I just thought it was, uh, it was just such a filthy habit. And so, you See, know, I, I was doing the elbow bump before, you know, everyone, everyone was. Uh, I was, I was thinking maybe you, you were either just, you make out or nothing. Was you already. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, there he is. There he oh, is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got a bit glitchy there, didn't it? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Let me just double check. I don't have anything going. All right, cool. Cool. So are you, you're in LA, is that right? That's right. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, in Los Angeles. I've lived here for, for years and years. Um, it's not where I'm from originally, but I, I definitely claim this as home. You're Montreal boy, is that right? Yeah, that's where I was born. Um, I was born in Montreal. And um, my, uh, you know, my mom and dad and I, uh, were there for a, a short period of time. It was kind of by chance that we that my dad ended up there originally, and um, and then uh, eventually the the whole family, the three of us, moved to uh, Denver, Colorado, where where the the two of them had met actually. And uh, I grew up in Denver um, from the time I was about three years old or so. Okay. Yeah. Is, is am I right in thinking Denver's kind of a hotbed for the kind of jam band scene? <laughs> yeah 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 i was i thought you were gonna say like a cow town and a cowboy town and it's that too okay um it's a place yeah it's it's cowboys and stone jammers yeah yeah cowboys and and hacky sacks and weed and and uh, really long jams um but also yeah no a lot a lot more than that but then that definitely exists there yeah and was that was that a factor in your kind of musical development the jam band thing the jam scene uh for me not for me not really uh i uh i kind of you know i i grew up my 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 stepfather my my mom and dad split up when i was really young and uh she was with uh um a man who's a who's a guitar player and a musician his name's mike johnson uh he's in this band called thinking plague they're like a um you know, in, in, in small, but very dedicated circles, they're, they're pretty well-known, like progressive rock group, you know, like, uh, art rock, or I'm not, I'm not even sure what the genre is, but it's pretty like, you know, intense, intense music, like through, comp through composed music. And he's the guitar player, composer for that band. So I, you know, I grew up hearing a lot of that music and getting made and composed and, mm. and then, um, and, uh, yeah. And then my, you know, there's tons of music playing in the house, uh, at their house. And then also at uh, my dad's house, just everyone was, you know, big music fanatic. So not too many jam, jam bands, but it was like kind of everything from, you know, my dad's side, like tons of Stevie wonder and, um, you know, muddy waters and Freddie King and Albert King and, um, you know, classic rock. And then also, jazz music uh you know stanley tarantine and miles davis and um 
and then um and you know newer rock that was coming out and then on you know at my mom's house there's a lot of like Joni Mitchell and uh um Kate Bush was a big one that was always played in the police was always being played in the house the police and Peter Gabriel and so um pretty, you know a lot of pretty healthy you know, spread man yeah i you know you know any anybody i talk to about my musical path like i can't gloss over that how important that was like just you know those those like quintessential records playing from well you're a you're a new father you know and and you know just having just, just the effect of 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 the music um you know playing just different kinds of music playing at all times was was huge it's with amazing. me um you know whatever you know i'll stick on something um it could be you know some scandinavian death metal or it could be like the new lettuce album and it kind of has the same effect on a 14 month old you know he's like ah this is you know stimulating my auditory senses and i like it it's yeah really fascinating that's wonderful i mean yeah there's you know um you, you just don't have that you don't have that filter and my my kids are older right now they're and their their filters starting to pop in and it's good to have that but it's like they're about eight and about ten you know seven and nine and 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 they're starting to be like yeah dad i i think that's not cool like the music you're playing you know like they're just they're, they're starting to develop their own tastes which is kind of cool but yeah, but I, I made sure to get as much as what's that you had a good run we had a good <laughs> i had a good run but i mean for me it was it's like it all came you know like a big record being in the house from the second i was you know able to just be in the world would be the harder they come uh soundtrack with jenny cliff and toots and the maytals and uh desmond decker and and then Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions was just always playing in the house, always. And, uh, you know, and, and to this day, those, you know, I, I'm big on talking about those like DNA kind of records, you know, and, and so, but, um, but then for me, like, I really, I loved all of that music. And then I really got into my own, you know, my own thing, you know, which kind of led to playing, playing music, so. Um, so Inner Visions is, it's a pretty heavy bass album. Yes. Yeah. Did you, um, have you really dug into those, those lines or was it more just you absorbed it? And then when you started playing bass, that, that wasn't something that you were checking out. Yeah. I, that's, that's a good question because I, I, it was so funny. Like I, you know, I spent so much, you know, so much time hearing that music. Um, and it wasn't until maybe the last 10 or 10, 12 years or 15, you know, 10, 12 years that I, I've started to really learn that music because the, you know, music from, I think, you know, for me, it was like certain, certain albums and certain sounds were just like, it wasn't, it wasn't even like you couldn't touch it. You couldn't, um and and uh, i know what you mean it's almost like you don't want to you don't want to unravel the magic yes yeah yeah like unravel like the mystery of like what you know and analyze it and you know or 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 for me i was definitely that type of musician when i was uh with those records and and not not all musicians are um i was really like 
you know, there was, there were albums that I was picking out and learning that were just really relevant to me at the time that I started playing bass. But, um, the real fundamental like DNA records, I didn't start getting into maybe until my like mid twenties. And it was like, then it was like, oh my God, you know, that's, you know, that's what that is. And just kind of like looking at it for what it is and, and making the connection like that has a huge emotional connection. This song has a huge emotional connect- connection to me, you know, like, you know, Abbey Road, like what is Paul McCartney doing on, on that, you know, on that record. And it's like, uh, he's just it, making up really as he goes along. I think, I think he was just jamming. <laughs> he was just jamming. Yeah, <laughs> he was. He just thought it was just demos, you know, nothing important. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he, yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty wonderful. Like just how it kind of keeps, you know, there's, there's always things to learn and then you're just always looking at things from different angles and it takes on new meaning the more you turn it, you know? Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, so at what point did you move from Denver to LA and why? Well, um, or is there somewhere guess, between? Yeah, I'll back up into my story a little bit. Like from when I started, I, I started playing music when I was when I was nine in the school band, um, which is, you know, a lot of people took that for granted that that was there um, because now it's not so much of a, you know given that you'd have those opportunities. But I played saxophone in the school band when I was nine. And my dad really wanted me to become a jazz musician, <laughs> which is, you know, my dad's Iranian. He's, he's an Iranian man, which um, I talk about this a lot where it's like, you know, the, the stereo, the stereotype with a lot of Iranian parents are like, you know, you can be whatever you want. You can be a doctor or an engineer, you know, <laughs> and um, well, there's a big drive towards, towards the academics and those kind of things. And, and my dad really didn't doesn't fit the mold for that kind of a thing. He's he's a chef, and he's uh, you know, he was he was a huge music fan, and he was just like, you got to become a jazz musician, which is really funny, you know, thing to push on your kid, like when you know what that that life really entails. <laughs> and um, but uh, yeah, I played I played sax in school band, and I was you know I was pretty good, but um, it wasn't necessarily the instrument that I was really feeling. But I kind of play, I played sax from the time I was nine till like through high school. But I started playing, um, you know, right around the time I was like, like 11 years old, I really started getting into uh, punk rock, you know, and reggae. Um, and I was really into like uh, American punk rock bands, um, like, um, you know, Minor Threat or suicidal tendencies or the dead Kennedys or fear of the bad brains, bad brains was a huge one. And, um, and, and then I also really loved Peter Tosh um, and uh, other stuff like that band, Jaluka, Johnny Clegg's band, um, the South African kind of like, uh, they were like a, um, a real like anti-apartheid, South African group that kind of played pop music mixed with like South African music. And, and then, um, and I was really into the talking heads and, um, and anyway, I, um, I, I started playing the bass right around the time I was 12. I picked up an old acoustic guitar at the house and, um, 
The Cure had just come out with that album, um, Disintegration. And uh, there's a song called Fascination Street on that album. Mm -hmm. Uh, Simon Gallup's a bass player on that. And he just plays this like fantastic bass line with the pick and it's got this growly kind of a thing. And I just remember picking up an acoustic guitar and kind of learning that, picking out, you know, with one finger with my left hand, learning that, that bass line. And um, I broke the strings on that, uh, on that guitar. And, you know, later on, uh, I think for my 13th birthday, my mom uh, got me a bass from a kid at the school. She bought it for 50 bucks. It was a, a 75 Fender Music Master, which I was recently reacquainted with. I now oh. have my first bass again. And anyway, um, I just, I was kind of off and running, just jumping into learning bass lines of, of you know, and then picking up anything I could anywhere. And, um, and luckily, like a couple of years into playing, I fell into a clique of musicians in Denver who were right around the same age as I, I was. And um, I saw them at a show, like a local band concert, um, you know, out, outside. There was like a, it was kind of like a battle of the bands thing. And there were these like kind of, freaky looking dudes that kind of look like you know there's all these bands that were playing with like older people you know that seemed like they could be ancient you know they're in their probably late 20s but they seemed like they could have been in you know in their 50s or 60s and to me at that time and then there was all of a sudden this band popped up and they started doing a little line check and they were all like kind of scraggly you know hippie looking guys no shirts on and just kind of they looked funny like they would be funny people and um they started to play and it was like jesus these guys are just killing they're so good like the second e- each of them played their their instrument when they did their line check and they played their little gig and i was just hooked and then a week later i was at a primus show i was really into primus okay <laughs> As, you know maybe a lot of electric bass players were hmm. So, uh, you know, what, in the 90s. what years is this approximately? So this would have been, this would have been 1990, 90 or 91, I guess. Okay. And um, I was out, I was out in front of a show of theirs and I saw a kid who's wearing a t-shirt with, uh, with that band's name on them. And the band's, the band is called the Psychedelic Zombies. Okay. But they weren't a jam band. It's like such a jam band name. <laughs> and um, uh, they were like a horn band. They were, they were like a Tower of Power. Like they were, they were like super right. killing kind of a Tower of Power group. But then they were all like 18, 19 year olds who were just, you know, freaks. And then they were really into, we were all into Fishbone and we were all really right. into the music coming out like Mr. Bungle, um, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And That's the macaroni. Oh yeah. And they, and they, uh, and they were like, uh, just, uh, you know, any, I, so I met those guys and they became my closest friends and they were like the big band in Denver at the time and fishbone or like no doubt would come when they were just the beginning and they would open for the zombies. Right. And, right. uh, and then they did little tours with fishbone and I got to be a tech for them right around the time I was 15 and 16 and that must have been eye opening. It was incredible uh, just to get to hear fish play the drums every night, you know, and, and, uh, going back to that group of people, um, 
a lot or a few of those people are still people I work with. Like uh, the guitar player in the zombies is, you know, Josh Lopez, who, um, you know, we, we, we ended up, I mean, we play together all the time. We wrote a song with Bruno Mars together. We, we wrote a song for that queen and slim film uh, that came out last, last fall. And um, the drum, you know, we're all really good friends. And that, and that was like, for me, like the first in a, you know, or one of the, the, the big kind of things in a series of, of uh, just kind of portals that I kept going into mm-hmm. that you just get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into making music. And, you know, just finding my tribe really was what, what that was. And, and then from there, I was just in tons of bands in Denver, you know, and um, there was a really vibrant music scene there. And uh, I, you know, I was, I had bands with my friends and then there was all type, types of other bands you could be in and, you know, like reggae bands and uh, salsa bands and playing jazz stuff or uh, hip hop. There's a lot of hip hop kind of stuff. And, and um, you, you, you kind of went from there. Did you ever get to meet the guys in No Doubt? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We we. I mean, like that was, that was. You know, I mean, that was probably ninety one, ninety two when when they were doing shows with those guys. That ju- just before um, Don't Speak came out. No, it was just before uh, they broke. It was it was it was maybe a year and a half or so before I'm Just a Girl came out, and they had other they had a couple of other albums. It was I guess on their second album. Right. And I remember we, you know, I was probably 16 and, and, uh, and that was funny too, because, uh, so the, the keyboard player in that band is, is a guy, his name is Keith Chauncea or the keyboard player in the zombies. His, his name is Keith Chauncea. And he was the first one to move to Los Angeles. He moved to LA in probably 91. And so he was like the first of the Colorado people that really started doing stuff. And he really kind of fell into a scene where, um, he met Lonnie Marshall, who I don't know if you know who he is. Lonnie's a fantastic bass player. And Lonnie was like, uh, became a real mentor to me. Um, and Lonnie's, Lonnie and Keith or Keefus started a band called Weapon of Choice. And they were a really fantastic band. So for any listener out there, you should listen to that music. Yep. And then Lonnie's brother, his little brother's Arik Marshall. And Arik, um, Right around that time, uh, John Frusciante from the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers had just left the Chili Peppers. And Arik got the gig as the guitar player for the Chili Peppers. So I just remember that period where it's like we were in high school and our friend Arik is playing in the Chili Peppers. (laughs) And it was just, it just seemed like music was like, you could do it. Like this is like happening. Yeah, you could, you could play music and, and, to get that exposure was so invaluable, you know? And, um, but yeah, so I just remember, you know, sitting at the Mercury cafe, it was where I played my first gig. Um, but I remember I was sitting there, I was next to Lonnie and, and, and then Gwen Stefani was there with the bass player, Tony, and they were right across from Lonnie and I. And I remember just seeing Gwen like whispering under her breath to Tony, like, that's Lonnie Marshall. Like, you know, like he was a, he's the guy, you know, and, and, um, but you know, it was, it was, it was an incredible time, an incredible time to kind of come up. And, yeah. uh, I remember yeah. hearing uh, or reading 
an interview with Tony. Is it Tony Canal? Tony. Yeah, Tony yeah. Canal. Um, or or hearing a story about how he got the gig for No Doubt. Do you know this? Do, 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 have you heard about that? No. I, 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 my recollection is that basically he auditioned, like he was a fan of the band and he auditioned and he learned like the three songs or whatever, but he'd never really played bass before. He just learned the song. Mm. <laughs> and then right. he, he just gave, learned the part. Yeah. I mean, I, but everybody was so young, you know, uh, Adrian, I remember the drummer had just joined, um, you know, around then. And I think, I think the same could be said for him too, where it's like he hadn't really played the drums at all, you know, and he was just kind of getting it together. And, but, but they were incredible. They were an incredible band, like, especially oh at, the, at the Mercury Cafe. Like, she's just such an amazing front person. And just so, and they had, they had great songs. And, but I remember the last time, like, really kind of seeing them, like, you know, and I remember they were really burnt out. They were just like, you know, sleeping in garages and like they had to finish this album, which was Tragic Kingdom. Right. But they finished it in, you know, maybe six different studios and they were like at the end of their rope. Gwen's brother had just quit the band and, you know, it, you know, it's just like it was a make or break point for them. And I remember they gave me the the demo or the, you know, the the cassette tape of I'm Just a Girl and something else was on there and uh and then you know they blew up they totally yeah. blew up and it was crazy to you know that's to a, that's see a good bass album as well actually like his his lines and his tone on that album are pretty big incredible and he's just so fun to watch he just he would like stalk the stage he was like a you know a jaguar <laughs> you know just kind of like he would wear this like uh jumpsuit and just kind of like stalk around the stage and stare at people in the audience and I remember really, you know, getting started trying to play bass and, you know, play like tour and all that stuff. And I could never do that because I'm almost six, six and it just looks so freakish. Like if I try to do that, you know, like stare someone down like that, it's just pretty slightly intimidating. Yeah. Slightly intimidating, you know, takes away from the fun. But anyway, he, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Um, so people started, I guess what you're saying, and people started to kind of move from Denver to LA and, it, and you were like, well, look, maybe that's a thing. Kind of. Yeah. So yeah. Like everybody in my little scene had moved to LA and that was like the big, that was the big scene close to Denver and or <clears throat> relatively close. And around that time through a lot of those guys in that band, the horn players, I started really getting interested in uh, playing because uh, I was self-taught, um, I got interested in playing, uh, you know, jazz music or or music that just got deeper into harmony, you know, and deeper into. Mm. And so I remember um, through a lot of those players, just getting introduced to a, a young bass player at the time. I was 16 and this guy was 19 years old. His name is Fontaine Burnett. Um, he currently lives in Germany. And I would go over to Fontaine's place and he would play me music you know, he was like the badass in Denver at the time, like 19 years old. He was playing bass with a uh, great double bassist and great electric bassist, but he was playing bass with Ron Miles. I don't know if you know Ron. Ron Miles is definitely one of my, and our mentors in our band Knee Body later. And, okay. and, and uh, Ron's a trumpet player in Denver who, um, who's played with Bill Frizzell for years and years and years, but also made so many incredible records and is just like a real, uh, just a real giant, uh, an artistic giant, 
in 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 the our musical world and, and fontaine was his bass player so it was just so cool to get to hang with fontaine i would just go over to his house and we'd listen to he would show me you know you know he was really into prince so we would like check out the black album and levi caesar and we would check out um and then bass wise, we'd also check out Mingus, like Charles Mingus presents. Charles Mingus is a big record that we would listen to, and we would also listen to um, uh, Al McDowell, um, who was playing with Ornette, along with J- Jamaladine Takuma, who was also playing with Ornette Coleman. Right. Um, and we would listen to those records, and we would listen to. Uh, and then I was really into. Um, there's a PIL record called Cassette or it's like if you get on a tape it's called cassette if you get on a cd it's called compact disc it's like a generic concept okay. and the uh the producer for that record it's pil public energy limited is the john Lydon or johnny rotten's band post oh, yeah. sex pistols and the producer for that particular album was bill laswell and bill laswell <clears throat> um for those of you who don't know is like fantastic producer but great bass player amazing bass player and just kind of like amazing kind of like like a Svengali, like where he put together these projects with different you know personalities and they would always have this kind of mysterious side and sometimes they would just have these like like freak of nature you know like so that album that pil record had you know johnny rotten but it also had tony williams playing drums on a song and ginger baker playing drums on another song and Steve Vai playing guitar, you know, like, but it didn't have, there, the credits were not, you know, they were not overblown. And in fact, it was, it was, it was you know, like the opposite of overblown promotion. The whole concept was, was this generic record, you know, very punk rock, but it has these people in it and it's just a beautiful record. And so Laswell at the time had all these amazing projects. <laughs> What's that? Everybody needs a gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Laswa had um, amazing rec- uh, records at the time. Um, this project called Material. Um, and Material was like, you know, a new kind of assemblage of, of people. And the record, <clears throat> I remember Fontaine and I were listening to a lot, it was this record called The Third Power. And it had, you know, Herbie Hancock. And then it also had, um, Bootsy Collins was on it and um, a lot of the Jungle Brothers were on it. I was really into hip hop. Um, uh, Shaba Ranks is on it. Um, you know, all different kinds of people. Some of the, the last poets are on this record. And uh, so for me, and then I just kind of around that time just started meeting a lot of uh, jazz musicians. And that's when I met, um, right around the time I met Shane Inslee, who's a trumpet player who we went on to uh, form the band Kneebody with years later, but we, uh, we met each other right around that time, right around when I was 18. Are you, and are you playing upright at 18? 18 is right around, right around when I started. I actually started when I was, I was 19. So my, my whole thing was I was self-taught and after high school, I didn't go to college and I was already gigging and doing little tours mm-hmm. and making, you know, paying for my apartment with, uh, you know, with gigs. <clears throat> and one year went by and 
you know, and I was also a bike messenger on and off, you know, doing that kind of, you know, just odd jobs, but then mostly gigging. And then another year went by. And by that second year, there was definitely a scene where it's like, I was, I had a band with Shane and, and we were playing, you know, doing gigs like opening for the roots and playing gigs with the Charlie Hunter trio and just like doing really cool things in the scene there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and playing original music. And I was so challenged by him. His playing was so great. And then getting to play with some of the older, you know, maybe like late twenties, early thirties jazz musicians. And, uh, and we would, uh, so right around that time, like that other year went by without going to college. And it was like, if I, <clears throat> if I go into another year, I'll just never go. And so I remember, you know, I just, I just started uh, when I was 19 going to music school in uh, Northern Colorado. It was super affordable. And, uh, and uh, you know, we didn't really have the money to do anything else. Um, and it was, it was incredible. I remember I was in maybe 10 or 11 bands and then I quit all the bands. I was in this reggae band, this great reggae group, and we had just played Red Rocks at Reggae on the Rocks. Wow. <laughs> and that was my last gig with them. And I started at uh, UNC, uh, Northern Colorado. And, uh, and then that's when I started playing uh, upright, studying, studying upright bass. And, um, and from there it was like, uh, just you know i studied bass with this guy jim vaughn who was there and then um at that time shane had transferred to a school in in new york called the eastman school of music mm-hmm. and uh the next summer shane was just like he came back he was like man you got to go to eastman it's incredible blah 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 blah. the scene's really great there and i never heard of eastman um and i was like okay cool how do i go and that's this classical conservatory that the other bass players there are just like have been playing double bass there, you know, since they were probably eight years old. Yeah. And so, so I took, I started taking lessons with uh, this guy, uh, Kenneth Harper, who sadly passed away. Um, He was the associate principal bassist in the, in the Colorado symphony. And um, that whole second year of school just was shedding and just trying to, Put myself in a position to audition to go to Eastman. Yeah, right. I mean, like, could you? You're saying you're self-taught. I mean, how how formal would you say you taught yourself? I mean, did you learn how to read music? Were you, you know, theory, or was it more just learning songs and and the mechanics of the instrument? Yeah, for me, I mean, I, I school band with saxophone it's a different clef and, you know, so, but with the electric bass, I was completely self-taught. And, um, but that with the caveat of there were a lot of mentors that, you know, would show me things. And, and I was always putting myself in positions where I get to play with people like who were just fantastic people. And thankfully a lot of people would take me under their wing. And I also had a real kind of knack for a thing that I would do like a certain kind of playing that I, could do like i always wrote you know like you know whatever it was i always came up with like licks or grooves and for that time i had a pretty strong sense of time and feel and groove and yeah and uh i kind of fell into those situations a lot 
And, but kept hitting my head up against the wall where it's like, I would, you know, around the time I was 18, I would get called onto a gig where I had to have charts or, or I, God forbid, I had to sight read a melody on the bass or whatever. And, and um, it really wasn't until I was, you know, 19 starting college that I had already had this good, like four or five years of like solid professional experience where it was like, you know, had, I knew what I was going to get into when I got out of school. Um, but I, so I felt like I really knew the questions to ask and I knew what work I had to do. You know, it's like, I got to be able to sight read. I got to understand what these, you know, like how to do this. And then, you know, I was just like, I need to have a teacher. I've never had it, you know, aside from a couple of little lessons that I had, like I had a little stint back in Montreal after high school. And I took a, f a few lessons with this guy who's a great bass player named George Mitchell in Montreal. So I think I took three lessons with him and he was fantastic. And he was playing, you know, he would do like the gigs with like, you know, Joe Henderson came to Montreal, you know, he would oh, yeah. be the bass player. Like he would be like the ringer for the badasses that would come yeah. to town, you know, and that's who you want to get your lessons from. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but, but for me, yeah, when I, when I finally went to school at UNC, I mean, and I was an electric bass player, so they didn't accept me as a, they didn't have that as a, a study. Like I, because I didn't play upright at the time I had to, I had to declare what my instrument was. And the only instrument I qualified as was a singer. <laughs> um, so they had me as a singer in the glee club. So that's what I, you know, for my two years at University of Northern Colorado, I was, uh, I was in the Glee Club as a singer, but I was also, you know, taking, you know, taking bass lessons and, and I was playing in the orchestra and every kind of ensemble I could and, and learning theory, you know, formal theory and studying Bach chorales and doing all that stuff. And I just remember, I remember my dad, you know, he had moved to Col uh, California by that time. He called me, he was like, what's it, you know, what's it like? What's school like? Cause you know, I had had my apartment, I was gigging, I was doing da, da, da. And now I'm like, I just took this step back. And I remember talking to him and just going like, well, it's pretty cool. Like all I have to do is show up and just practice the bass all the time. <laughs> and then you can go to this like dining hall and just eat sandwiches and cereal whenever you want, you know? And, you know, you've got your friends there and, 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 and that's all you have to do. And it's like, I remember that, that feel, it was kind of like a victory, you know, where it's just like, this is, this is, this is great. It's like a musical paradise. It was, it was. And, um, and, and so that second year there, I just remember, uh, you know, just feeling like I wasn't challenged enough. There were, there were, you know, it's, it was a great school and it was a great school for certain things, but for what I wanted to do, there wasn't that high level of, you know, I guess you call it creative musicians or, kind of that kind of scene going on and and that's you know Shane telling me about what was going on in uh at Eastman really just got me into like okay I gotta get out there and so that's what I you know I ended up I ended up kind of hooking hooking up an audition and not without the help of you know Shane who was just an incredible um, musician at the time he was one of those guys like when we were 18 he was already like the man he was already so good so you just um Hung on to his coat. <laughs> that's basically it. That's my career in a nutshell. I'm like the, the, the quintessential coattail writer. But uh, 
Yeah. And I, you know, I got into Eastman and, um, and, and that's where I finished, you know, school. I was there for two years and, uh, um, it was only two years of my life, but it, it was so formative because that school at that time, the jazz department only had 30 people. So everyone really knew each other and they knew how they played. And you got this real intense kind of, uh, time with, with each other. And, and plus and, being, being in New York, I mean, that's just an education in itself, surely. Yeah. Well, Eastman's in Rochester. So Rochester is like another world altogether, but yeah, I was that guy. I was that guy that was like, I'm, I'm pretty much in New York. Mm-hmm. So East, just to give you an idea, Rochester is a nine or an eight hour or nine hour bus ride from from New York city. Okay. Right. And I would do it. I would do it almost every weekend. I would get, I would get out of school and I would go straight to the, to the, to the bus station and take an overnight bus to, uh, to Manhattan. And I would, and, and by that time, Shane was living in Manhattan. So I would, I would camp out. So I remember a couple of times, like he lived near Tompkins square park and I would just kind of camp out out front of his house until he woke up. And then I would just crash there for the weekend. And then I take the late night bus back. Wow. Just weird. In- I mean, from the age of 18, you basically, it seems like you're just doing whatever it takes to, to make yeah. it. Yeah. It's like, Oh yeah. 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 Like, I mean, there's nothing like that feeling of just kind of, of knowing what it is that you're going to do. And then also like, something I talk about a lot with people is just like seeing like having a a small victory, you know, early on, you know, like where it's like, whatever it is, like learning that cure baseline, or if you want to, you know, like, you know, just if there's something you kind of just want to do and you do it and then that'll spur you on to, you know, more of those things, hopefully and more and more. And, and luckily, you know, that, that really, was a thing for me, you know, and, and I really kind of kept blinders too. Like I kept that sense of like, you know, ah, shit, you're never going to be able to do this. You know, like that was never an option. And I was so lucky to be surrounded by people who were just doing it, not to mention my stepfather and his whole scene Mm. that it was just like, yeah, of course you'd do that. Like, you know, yeah, you, you know, of course you play in a shitty club somewhere and, or, you know, like there was never that thing of like, man, are you going to make, you know, what do you, how, how much money are you going to make? Or like, you know, there's, there's never like, thank God, you know, cause you probably know people like this. I just remember people that were like, you know, fantastic musicians, like just fantastic technicians that could do all this stuff, but they, they almost got that too easily. And they were like, I just remember a couple of people in particular that were just so consumed with that thing of like, how am I going to make a living or how is this even practical or how, and it kind that of stuff didn't really, doesn't really, you know, um, for me anyway, it didn't really come to my head until I was a lot, a lot older. Maybe it should have come earlier. I don't know, but right, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can just like maybe wait, music's a thing that I can do and get by. All right, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, totally. Like, yeah, for me, it was just like, you know, early on, where it's just like, are you kidding me? You know, like I get to play with that drummer and I get free coffee <laughs> and I get seven bucks at the end of the night. What, you know, like win, like that's a triple win, you know, it's all about, you know, right. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So 
so that was like, you know, <laughs> those are the early years. And then, you know, um, and then from there, that was, you know, like, so I was in Rochester at that time. And, and that was really where it was like, do you go to New York, which is where a lot of those people at Eastman were from the East Coast already. And a lot of those people were already automatically going to New York. But I had all my Denver people in, in L.A., mm. And they were already playing with like massive bands. They were playing with, uh, at the time, Macy Gray had just mm-hmm. come out, and they a lot of those guys were in Macy's band, and and uh, Everlast was another big band at the time, and Kefis was in Everlast, and you know there's just there was stuff going on in Los Angeles that it was like, you know, I, I just kind of had my you mind had, had on, yeah. Yeah, I had a little bit of an in. I had my mind set on going there just from the first time I set foot there. And and so um, I, I moved there in 99. And and I remember Shane moved there at the same time. And so did uh, Ben Wendell, who um, we went to, we all we all went to Eastman. And, um, and uh, 21 years ago. Sorry, I just wanted to let you know. Yeah, God. It's yeah, it's crazy. And then that whole thing, you know, it's just like, it does definitely seem like the other day that we all moved out here, you know, but um, yeah. And then that's when, when that group of musicians really started playing consistently where it was like, we started playing at a, um, we met Nate Wood because uh, Adam Benjamin was going to CalArts with him. And we all kind of got together, like right out of the gates, um, started playing little gigs. And then we started playing at a, at a, um, a cafe in UCLA every Monday. And it was, you know, so we didn't for make a, any money. anyone who's listening or watching that's yeah. familiar with Kneebody, um, how would you pitch it? Yeah, exactly. It's Kneebody is this band that, it, it, it's a band of uh, of writers, you know, like everybody in the band writes music. And um, it's a collective, you know, it was just, it was just for me, uh, I haven't been a part of the band for the last year and a half, maybe two years now, but um, we're all still great friends. And But uh, it started off as this band where uh, it was like a place to kind of workshop songs, you know, and everybody in the band wrote. So I remember our first gig, we'd get together and just, and we would teach songs to each other by ear. And that was like a big, it became like kind of like music school again, where it's like, we all had bands that we were in and, you know, musical jobs or like I was in a couple of groups, like singer songwriters that were a little established and doing some recording work and playing a bunch of gigs around town and same with everybody else in the band. But we had this band where we would get together and, we had a Monday night gig at a club in LA that was a steady gig and we could workshop songs. And so it started off as a song band like that. And that was really where we had something that we could kind of like gravitate towards and we could just instantly see how it worked on a crowd and instantly see how it worked. Um, And, uh, and then, and then all of these things sprung out from, from, the band like we just started really taking it seriously and and touring and you know making more you know records and doing all that stuff and it really became this band where you know there's a lot of things that are unique about it where one of the things there's there's a video i think it's like on a drum channel 
a DW drum channel video that where we kind of show this whole queuing concept that we yeah, I was I was going to ask you about that at, at some point yeah yeah so that whole queuing concept came from that band and you know for those of you who don't know it's like it's this it's this thing where like in the middle of um uh in the middle of uh you know like we can play these aural you know these 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 aural cues that'll change the direction of the music while we're playing it and that's not new you know that's just happened in music for centuries you know where it's like you have a call and response that would mean something or like in traditional jazz music you have you know you know you know what that means right you know it means to end the song that's how you end that's you meant to end every jazz song right 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 like you know like people could just plug that in and everybody knows that's how you end yeah that's how you end every jazz song yeah yes but um we you know we kind of started developing things like that where it's like a little lick that was in one of shane's songs this kind of angular lick that would happen is this thing in seven where you have like like everybody does that that's the answer to that call and that became a thing that we would just stop a song so it had this like weird like angular thing happening and then everyone going and it's like whoa and as a listener it's like it's captivating you know where it's just like these guys are jamming they're doing whatever and then all of a sudden boom it stops and then from there as yeah. a, a listener or compositional perspective you know the one of the things that works is enough repetition so that we can enjoy it, but enough surprise so that we keep listening, right? Totally, totally. Like, yeah, you, you want to put yourself in the in the in the place of the listener, and and you kind of, I, I think I think that ears crave a sense of like that balance between order and disorder, you know, and structure and chaos. You know, and that was something that we really had fun with. And there would be different cues that you could change kind of any parameter of the music. It's like once we figured out that we could create this language and everybody was up for it, we kind of kept going further and further into things where it's like you, you, could, you could tell people to do things or you could, everyone had their own musical name. You could cue people in, cue people out. You could do Does it ever slow down, speed up. Get out of hand, like... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just be yeah. Like a gig of just queuing everybody and just <laughs> yes, totally like a like a circus, like you know, like the band kind of like a like a car, like like a car with like a diesel engine, and you put unleaded gasoline in it, and it just keeps like sputtering and going, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, like that kind of stuff would happen, especially when the band was like really working that stuff out, you know, where it's like there is definitely a period of like two years where it's just like any recording you hear of us during that period, you just hear this, like what, 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 you know, but in general, it was always meant as this thing where you can, you want to make the music work. And the cool thing about it is like, there's like, you can't really, I mean, you can override somebody's cue. Like you can tell somebody like, no, 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 that's not what I want to do. You know, like, but the idea is that, we're all doing it for the good of the song. You know, we're all doing it for the good of the moment. It's like, so it's like you really respect someone's, well, someone's. You, you drill down deeper and ultimately it's about trust. 
Yes. Yes, very much so. And, you know, and that, and that's really what this, that band was too. It was like a real home base where we we're all such close friends first, you know? Yeah. 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 And that's, that, that was pretty, um, uh, I guess useful for one of a better word, just to have, um, you know, a writing platform like that, that of such high caliber, you know, that, oh, man. that you could just present anything, and and hear it and hear it back at you, you know, yeah. quite as good as what you could imagine. I'm guessing. Yeah, it was incredible. It was and 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 challenging and and overwhelming, but also like really trusting. And and the thing that was cool was that, like I said earlier, that all, all of the songs were always taught by ear. You know, everybody in the band writes. You know, is 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 literate. You know, and everybody's everybody are you know we're all great readers. But you know how it is. Uh, when you get music, you know, on the page and how kind of tough it is to get away from the page, Yep. you know, and especially when you're seeing a band, like we were a band that were, we were playing in clubs and bars and we didn't want to be that band that brought in the music stands or like, they're just gazing at their shoes at the chart, you know, and can you move that front table just back a few feet? So just so we can put our music stands down here kind of thing. Exactly. Like we wanted like, and there's this thing where it's like, I just, I definitely came from that. Like, you know, that thing, that DIY, like, you know, it's like, like, fuck that. Like, I want to be in your face kind of thing. Like I want to be like, and, and everybody else kind of shared a little bit of that too, where it's just like, we want to just be like, like playing your face off. And then also, Oh, what happened? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering if that was going to happen. That's thank you. I'm glad that happened. I'm glad that happened. Yeah. No, we, you know, we, we, uh, uh, we, we didn't want that. We didn't, we, we didn't want that. Um, like that music stand vibe in, you know, also like you don't internalize the music as well. You don't. Um, and so we learned everything by ear. Power power don't do it. And there's a lot of notes (laughs) and a lot of songs. Well, there's a ton of songs and that was the thing. That was what was so cool. Like it's, it's realizing how much you can really do with your, with your mind, the power of your brain. Um, and it, it really was, it, it really was cool. Just like being like, uh, like there's a song on our first album, uh, that's called climb. And, um, I forget the name of it there. And that would have been amazingly ironic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. How could they remember it? Yeah, I, don't, I can't remember the name of the song. Um, there's a song called Climb, and it's uh, especially for Shane and Ben. The song was this song is this incredible song that Ben wrote, where it's like this beautiful, like kind of you know, long form bass line, basically mm-hmm. that has like implied harmony, kind of like a Paul Motion song. And it's got this long form bass line, and then basically what he did is he he like maybe. He, he, he had those changes going this is when he wrote it his and he just he took a solo over the over the changes you know and he took this solo and it, he took a really like melodic beautiful you know and he recorded it on his you know on mm-hmm. pro tools or or tape deck or something on his mini i think it was it was on his mini disc that's true and he recorded it on a mini disc and it was like three minutes or something of just him just kind of playing and you know parts where he's like shredding a little bit and just doing this stuff over this long form soul and then 
they transcribed it. And then they learned every bit of that melody and that, and that, or that solo, and that became the melody. <laughs> like right. that's the example of like the crazy commitment. And I remember, you know, when we were learning that song, that was a period we were in our early twenties or, and I remember the, the week we were learning that song, we were all up in, I think it's called Inverness, which is this, you know, we had a friend of a friend who had a, a, a cabin. What's that? Inverness. It's a, it's a pretty well-known um, town in Scotland. Okay. Yeah. Well, we, we were in the lesser known town north of San Francisco called Inverness. But, uh, <laughs> but we were camped out in the studio. We ended up with this opportunity where we just like, there was a studio with a couple of, a uh, couple, like a, bedroom or two and we were just there for like three or four days and so we would wake up and just play music and um work on songs and we, i remember we really worked on that song climb during that time you know it took forever to learn that stuff but it's like the thing is it's like the more you do that then the band became like you know everybody living in different cities across the country, you know, like two of the guys living in New York, somebody living in Denver, I'm in LA, and then somebody living in Reno. But we would come together for tours and we could play that music pretty quickly because we had all put it together by memory, you know, and, and we would have a sound check where we would be like, you know, shedding, you know, shedding the tunes, but then we we're already pretty much there, you know. Um. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. how many? What? Try from this question. The recording process for that band was it like? Is it was is it always more kind of? Um, let's just try and capture the energy of a gig, or did you ever approach it more like let's try and, you know, orchestrate something a little bit more and use the tools of the studio? Yeah, we we would, we we would do. We try both for different albums. Um, so like for our first album, we were just really getting it together. Um, and also everybody had various uh, layers of uh, fluency in the studio. Um, we had all been recording as, you know, young musicians a fair amount at that point. But Nate Wood in particular, he's you know he's such a polymath and such a freak of nature and a, such a talent and a, just a really incredible uh, musician and he he had you know as just as the drummer alone but plays amazing bass uh incredible bass um and then plays great guitar sings has hey, perfect um, uh wayne wayne krantz he's he's done some wayne krantz on bass and drums is that right yeah 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 and he was a, he was yeah he was a huge fan of wayne's too before he started um he started playing with him i mean he was the first one to kind of show us wayne's music but uh but yeah, so Nate was also, Nate's dad and mom are both great musicians and Nate's dad has a studio and Nate kind of grew up in the studio. So he already had this kind of, uh, this, this ability to just um, find his way around the studio and use the gear and engineer and stuff. And he's also become a really successful engineer since then. Um, and at, and that, at that time, like when we made our first record, um, it was really like a, it was a it was a real studio project and we actually had two records before the first knee body record we had a record with shane insley's record which is called second guess and that was an album that is just to this day 
I mean, my playing on, on it, I'm not super proud of, but I just love the record so much. It's like, it's beautiful, like beautiful songs. And like, there's so much about it. That's like really, um, Shane's writing is so great. And then everybody's, everybody's playing is so great. And the production on it is really great. I, I co-produced it with Shane, but Shane really was like the, the main driver of the, of the ship. And so we had that record. is with a couple of other friends. And then we had this other record. There's this band that we had called Wendell, <laughs> which was, you know, it was Ben and it was, it was all of Kneebody minus Shane. And that's because Shane's playing with all of anybody minus Ben. <laughs> yes. And it's called Wendell. Yeah. <laughs> minus Ben in, but only in name. Um, but so, you know, by the time we made that, that first anybody record, we, it was kind of like a studio project and there's a lot of overdubbing going on mm-hmm. and there was a lot of, you know, sometimes I would put two bases on something or just, when, um, but nobody was looking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you guys, um, you guys, I just want to fix some parts. Yeah, I'll be right back. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going to go to lunch. Um, there and then you know, and you can hear that on that first new body record. There's there's uh, there's a moment. There's a song called "Halfway to Scranton" that um, Shane wrote, where I think there's bassoon in there. Ben's a great bassoonist, so like there's some bassoon in there. It's piano. Like they had written this like chorale in the middle of this, you know, this section, and so there's like you know the use of the studio as you'd yeah. say and then and like we made a record like um you can have your moment is i think our third album and that one's like a real playing album like where it's like everyone's playing and then there's an album called the line that we did that's really like or the line or the one after that um anti-hero like those two those two are like really like good combinations of like, you got the performance, but then if it's needed, we're going to do, we're going to like make it a studio thing. And like, by that point we had gotten like pretty, you want to present the material in the best way possible. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and then we started making kind of some live albums too, like that were recorded along the way that just kind of documented. And then that was at the, the, that the beginning of like the whole YouTube thing and the video thing. So then concert videos started coming out and like little like fan videos and all that stuff. So people could see how the band played. So it became like, if you're going to make a record, uh, a positive influence at that time. Yeah. 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 That, you know, we, yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it's, you know, that we took advantage of yet. We didn't, you know, like didn't know how to take advantage of in some ways. And, you know, you just, you, you just make use of it however you can. Yeah. Um, so how would you say, um, your time in LA has, or your experience of LA has changed those, you know, o- over the years? Like, have you, did you immediately get into the, you know, the session scene? Is that something you've ever really plugged into in LA or is it more kind of original projects jumping from one to the next kind of thing, as opposed to can you come and do the session tomorrow at three? What's, what's been that balance like over the, over the time you've been there? You know, it's, it's, for me, it was kind of like, uh, I started out definitely as a band guy, you know, like I was in a band or two, but then I was also, when I first moved here, I was like in every band possible. And there was, it was luck. <laughs> a, thing, a, a common theme with you. 
<laughs> yeah, totally. And and if you ask my friends, they'll laugh about that. Like it's just not it's not funny sometimes that how 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 much I would overextend myself. Um, but uh, when I first moved to LA, there's and when we you know when we first moved to LA, there was this uh, uh, a club in San, in, in uh, Santa Monica that opened that co- like opened right around the same time, and there was there were just two great club owners, a husband and wife, Louie and Nettie Ryan. And the booking agent that they hired for that club was right around our age, this woman, Megan Jacobs. And we were all really good friends. Anyways, this, this place called the Temple Bar. And it was just this, it was home base for our whole music scene. And it was like, so on top of that, like on top of Kneebody and all that stuff, there's all the Denver guys that are there. And there was this guy, Jeff Gallegos, who's in the zombies from way back when I was coming up that started this, uh, this, this hip hop orchestra. So that was in 99. We started this group called Daka, which is this grew to be like 70 musicians, you know, like a massive, like full on Mahler sized orchestra with MCs and all that stuff. And, and that, that band kind of grew out of our scene at the temple bar. Um, Kneebody played every Monday. Right. Every Sunday night as well, temple bar. And, and I was playing in tons of bands then. And, uh, and then studio stuff kind of started coming just along the way through that, you know, Um, when I first moved here, I got a job through a Denver connection at a post-production studio and I was playing on a bunch of commercials. I was playing bass and guitar and keyboards and some drums on, on you know, getting to play on like American Express commercials or, Ooh. you know, all that stuff. And, and that lasted for, you know, that job lasted for about three months, but those connections kept going. And, yeah. and then I fell into working with a great film composer right around maybe 2000 or 2001 who I still work with on, on films that he does, um, uh, doing, yeah. And you know, just the, the studio stuff started to pick up. Um, Mm -hmm. but it really, for me, it really started to pick up right around 2008. Like I remember making a real conscious effort to, so around 2008, I was playing with a, a really big Italian artist named Liga Boy. Um, and uh, I was in Italy, Italy a lot. And that was around the time that the knee body guys were moving to, they're all moving to New York. I remember saying like, fuck, am I supposed to move to New York too? Like, mm. you know, pardon my French, but like, you know, like that whole thing, like am I, am I supposed to, you know, you, you really gauge what your friends are doing. And, and I remember just saying like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to stay here and just try to really invest in the, the music scene and the industry here in Los Angeles. And uh, so I was playing in that, Italian group and still doing knee body and still playing with Colin Hay and, you know, doing other things, but also I really started getting more into, uh, you know, I guess positioning myself to get into some studio situations and, and, um, and also a lot in the writing scene too, like Mm. getting to write with people. And and that's really where that kind of stuff started to take off for me. Yeah. I mean, like I was saying just before we started, I was kind of, I went quickly, went over your, uh, wiki page just to see what was what stood out to me um and just some you know some of the names in there are are fairly well known shall we say <laughs> we've got bruno mars CeeLo green um 
John Legend, uh, the boss, Springsteen, <laughs> um, Sting, uh, Michelle and Diggio Cello. Yeah. So um, it would be awesome to kind of dig into some of this. Uh, Kimbra, Sia, there's a bit of a kind of down under. Yeah. Um, yes. Colin Hay, who's, who's Scottish, Australian. So yeah, I mean, maybe we'll st- maybe we'll kick off with Colin, how, how that came around, what what it's like working with him, what you've picked up from him. Yeah, that that was incredible. Um, yeah, around the time when I first started working with Colin, I remember. Uh, I remember so. I had always known that you know Colin Hay from Minute Work lives in Los Angeles, and you know. Uh, I had some friends that had played with him and, and also his wife, Cecilia Noel is a really well-known singer here and ran and still, still runs this really well-known band here uh, called Cecilia Noel and then wild clams. And they're like a, a fantastic uh, Latin uh, just kind of Latin group. That's just so good. Good. And so many great musicians kind of came from that band. So I just knew that Colin you know, it, it was very active playing and, and I grew up hearing the minute work music, but, right. um, but that's kind of as far as I had gone with, with, with really checking it out. And um, I remember Nate and I, we used to play with the singer songwriter who was kind of like in the vein of John uh, Mayer. It was right around the time that John Mayer got his record deal is when this guy got his record deal and Nate and I were his band. Like it was Nate and I, and, and then this guy, um, you were I like you were like the, the Pino and... <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, uh, no, I mean... Yeah, the hype for it. <laughs> I definitely have the hype for it. And actually, actually, it's funny. Um, Pino and I got to work together um, a few years back and got to hang out a fair amount. And it turns out um, our dads are both chefs, which was incredible to find out. But um, um, anyway, like, so back... Uh, uh, back then we we were doing a tour we were doing a tour and we were doing a show and we were opening for Colin and I remember set and we were like walking off like carrying our stuff back to the van across this like green like there's a green where everybody was sitting and we're carrying our stuff to the van like Nate's carrying like a cymbal bag and I'm carrying a bass and maybe something else you know and we're walking back to the van and Colin plays one chord and just sings a note and he's playing solo you know, if you ever get to hear him play solo, it's just heaven. Yeah. He plays a, he plays a chord on the guitar and he sings a note and Nate and I just dropped our instruments in the grass and just walked back to the side of the stage, like left my bass out on the grass somewhere where, you know, it's what is- like, I've got to watch this show. And, and we sat on the side of the stage and watched this whole set and he tells these stories he sings his ass off and plays so, and his songs are just so gorgeous. And that's where I was exposed to, you know, his songs that, that he's been writing. He's always been writing ever since he started, you know, he's just one of these songwriters. Um, and he, uh, and he tells these stories that are just incredible and really engaging, really funny and also really revelatory and intimate mm. and like, I had tears in my eyes and I know Nate was like worked up and we're both worked up. And, and I remember I, I, I'll never forget this, like going backstage, like 
kind of like that, you know, like, huh? Like, you know, like this is, you know, like this is pretty special night for you, wasn't it? You know, like, like, you know, like feeling like we knew like this is a big deal for him. Like, cause it, and I remember say, like, just going like, wow, you know, like coming up to Colin, you know, just, we had to run to meet him because we were just instantly like fans. And then, um, and he's just like, thanks boys, you know, gotta go to the next gig. You know, like it was like, like it was like nothing, you know, like it was just another gig for him. I mean, in, in that he's so freaking good. <laughs> and, um, and then, so, and then maybe a couple of years after that, uh, my, our good friend, Charlie Paxson is a drummer and Charlie was playing with Colin Hay and they needed a bass player and Charlie put my name in for it. And we had a gig at Largo, which is a great club out here in LA. And, and I was like, yes, at that point I was like, are you kidding me? Like I was, I was so waiting for an opportunity to get to play with him because I was just so blown away by that night. And, um, Charlie kind of put my name in and I got the gig to play that gig. Yep. And, uh, I learned, uh, I remember learning like 25 songs in two days or a day or something where it was just like, Oh my God, like there's all this music and there's so much that goes into those songs and, uh, straightforward A, A, B, A, form. Yeah. There's, there's real parts, you know? Yeah. And there's melodies and we would play some of the minute work songs and a lot of his newer songs. And, and then from there we did a tour Anyway, it was incredible. We and we, we did it. You know, we did it a, a quick little tour up the coast. And I remember when I started playing with him, I had been playing with this band called the Diddy Bops leading up, and we were playing with Nickel Creek. We were touring a lot with them, which is that band with Chris Steely and uh, Sarah Watkins and Sean Watkins, this fantastic mm. bluegrass new Americana music, like just fantastic group. And they were a real Largo. They were a real Largo band, and. Colin was a real Largo band, meaning the club. Right. And, and I remember when I first started playing with Colin, uh, uh, I think Sean Watkins told me, he's like, you're going to, you're going to meet, um, you're going to meet Paul McCartney when you play with them. I was like, I was like, get out of here. Like, you, you know, he's like, yeah. Like, cause at the time, uh, Paul's, Paul's wife was a huge fan of, of, uh, of Colin's. Uh, his his ex-wife anyway so fast forward to that first gig that that uh or that first tour i did with colin and we did the whole tour and the last gig was in los angeles and um that whole week they had been telling us that that paul was going to be at that gig and um and he was he was at the gig and he, he was there and we got to play the show for him and i mean it was it was it was a it was a crazy experience like the whole night was crazy <laughs> Yeah. And then, and then we all got to hang out afterwards. Wow. And, um, but bringing it back to Colin, uh, there's, there's, I mean, we're still, I consider him a really, really dear friend and really close friend to this day. And, uh, he's just, he's the best of the best. He's an incredible artist an incredible. I also kind of feel like that, that situation wouldn't phase him either. You know, having a, a beetle, watch him perform <laughs> well he he was in um he he was in and he has he's still in uh ringo's band in in ringo's uh all-star band ah. but but colin is a huge beatles fan i mean so i can i can and i'm sure he'd be comfortable with me saying like i mean it was 
it was a big deal. I mean, it was like we were, you know, and and I know that Paul, from what I had understood, had come to hear him play a few a few times, like, and they're friendly, like they've, you know, but but I I I was there. I saw like what it meant to him. Like we we wanted to do, you know, we wanted to we wanted to put on a great show, you know, and and um, it was it was it was incredible. It was really cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then two other local um, acts that I'd love to speak to you about, uh, Kimbra and Sia. Yeah. um, Musical director for Sia. Yeah. That was for, it was for a short period, but it was really, it was a, it was a pretty cool experience for me for sure. Um, Yeah. uh, It was when she came out with her uh, album, a thousand forms of fear, which chandelier and, and, um, and uh, a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, but he's become a fantastic, really, really, uh, really successful and just is an incredible producer um, uh, who I've known since I was probably 18 or 19, um, got me in the position to, to work with, with her and uh, to, to, to do, to do, um, yeah, to do some shoes, to, to do some TV shows and to also um, do a couple of live shows. And this was around the time where she had taken a real hiatus from, from performing live because I think she was on the road for, you know, for years and years with Zero Seven and then her own, her own projects. And um, it, was, uh, it was a really cool uh, opportunity and a crazy responsibility to kind of be responsible for, you know, that that type of uh live music making and dealing with tv and dealing with uh running tracks and and all that stuff which was which was i'd been around it a bit especially with the italian band i was in which is a really kind of high profile group for but being the one responsible for that was was pretty pretty you're the the liaison between the artist and the band and the artist and the tv techs and all that kind of stuff right yeah yeah and 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 uh, you know for for that for for those gigs it was really like it was kind of flying by the seat i was flying by the seat of my pants where it's just like you know got it like you know we played the hollywood bowl <laughs> and it was like you know uh playing you know all these like massive hits that she's uh that she's written and, and that uh, like, you know, diamonds, uh, the Rihanna song and, and then also like her big hits and everything. And so it was, it was really intense kind of getting that. Chandelier came on the radio. It just like, I just remember, it just blew me away. It's just such a epic, epic song. And it was, it yeah. was radio for a long time as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, it was. Yeah. And the first time I heard it, it's just like, Oh, this song's incredible. So, so yeah, that was uh that was a really cool experience. It was an, it was an amazing experience. Um, like I, I wish that I'd been a part of, I didn't get to tour with her or to get to do, um, I, I had hoped that there would be more than, than what I did, but there was, what I did was I, I got to, you know, do Saturday night live with her and we did that Hollywood bowl show. We did some, some, I think radio promo and some stuff with VH1. And um, I mean, it was, it was an incredible experience and she's, she's an, I mean, an incredible uh, artist and person. And she happens to be um, uh, Colin Hayes, uh, goddaughter. 
which was a total crazy coincidence. Yeah, because they're her father and 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 he are really are really close friends. There you go. Yeah. Um. And so was Kimbra before or after? Uh, I think Kimbra was maybe before. Uh. So. Yeah, I got to work on a song on her first album. Yeah. Uh, I got to play. I think there's a few basses on the song, but I think my bass is somewhere in there on that song, Settle Down. Um, and uh, along with Chris Bruce, who's a fantastic guitar and bass player, good friend of mine, hero of a lot of people. He's a great musician, so he's on there too. And then when, I think when I did that session, she and I and... Um, and Kefis, who's our old friend from Denver, who produces stuff, right. um, he we wrote a, a, like a couple of sketches, and one of the songs became uh, "Love in High Places," which was on her second album. Cool. That I play a little, I co-wrote the song, but I play a little bass on it. But Thundercat plays like the main bass on that song, which is he just sounds incredible. Yeah, and so this is these are all being recorded in LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she was out here a lot, quite a bit, and then, and that was really neat. When when I met her, I was going over to to kind of work on some of the stuff, and then that was a really cool like worlds colliding thing where I walked in and, you know, I said, you know, my name, and I'm in this other band called Knee Body. She's like, oh, I know Knee Body. Like, oh my god, and I was like, what? Are you kidding me? And that was a that was a really cool like worlds colliding moment, and then. I ended up helping to bring her to, with us. So we did a few shows together actually, where she sang, she sang with our band and you could see them on there. There's some stuff on YouTube. Like we did a show in at LPR in New York and we did a couple of things at the blue whale out here. And, and then she had Ben and I play with her. She did a, re, a residency at the bootleg, you know, probably about four years ago now. I was just listening to some of our most recent stuff and some of it is super funky. Some of our newer releases, it's like, is this Prince or like what's going on? It's, it's really cool. She's incredible. She's, yeah. she's, she's so, she's so great. And she's such a, um, she's such a great producer. Um, I was going to say, and the, the production is just, it's just, it's such an amazing tapestry. There's so much <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes yeah the, the the it is a tapestry i i just re, i remember when she was doing uh just just watching her work and just you know pop open the laptop and then like just oh i've got this cool horn sample and i've got this other thing and she's moving things around and she's really fluid with uh with technology like that and um and then also she's just an incredible improviser like uh you know with knee body like we would play or you know or she you know and you you've anybody who who just looks for her on on uh on youtube can just see countless performances where she's just improvising and and constructing just amazing uh amazing music on the spot she's she's the real deal for sure and <clears throat> interestingly when i was listening to that album it was on spotify and you know how spotify just goes on and plays the next you know here's something else you might like and yeah. it took me on to the new Becca Stevens album. Yeah. Wow. You are connected with. 
Yeah, yeah. I co-wrote two songs on that album. Um, that's a that's a that's a beautiful sounding album as well. Yes, yes, yeah. It's uh, it's it's an incredible it's an incredible record, and Becca is so so good. Um, is yeah, that, is she on the Ground Up label, the Snarky Puppy? Yep, she is. Yeah, Michael League Empire. Yeah, who's who? Actually, I met him in Melbourne. I met him at the um, when Kneebody when we played at the Melbourne Jazz Festival. Oh. Uh, when I met Claire Cross. Oh. Yeah. So that must have been four four years ago, maybe three years ago. It's a it's such a blur. You could say ten, and I would believe you, or one. It's like at this point. <laughs> but no, I but I think it was probably maybe four or five years ago, maybe. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, sounds about yeah, because I got yeah I got here about six years ago, and I think Snarky Puppy came out a year or two after. So, it, well, it was it was, and it was also right when everyone was talking about Hiatus Coyote in Melbourne. They were just like it was like the it seemed it might not have been, but it just seemed like it was the first year where it's like everyone's like there's this band here in Melbourne. You would not believe your ears. Like they're incredible. They're called Hiatus Coyote, and we're like oh wow, you know. And we played our show. Newbody played our show, and then. And we had been hearing about Snarky Puppy and, and, and we met those guys and a lot of my friends or the, some of the new body guys knew them already because some, a lot of them lived in New York. And, and then, and we, and then we met some of the hiatus coyote people and they had come to, to our show. And, and then we went to there. My guys, incredible. Yeah. We understood what they meant. <laughs> I don't think how great they were. My first time as well, and it's like it. It's so they're so together, but also they can be so wild. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, They 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 walk that line of like like just of chaos and, but then also it's just like it it just comes to a head, you know. um, Similar similar ethos to the to the knee body vibe, I guess. I would, I would definitely say so. Yeah, and, they, and and but they also have a real attention to production and sound. God, yeah, like everything sounds as it should. Sounds incredible. Yeah, yeah. I heard them. I got to hear them a, like it was a while ago now, but at the at the Roxy out here, and it, that's a beautiful little club to or you know sound system to hear music. And God, they sounded incredible. It was yeah. great. Um, looking down this list. What what was your involvement with Michelle? Uh, when I first met Michelle, it was probably around ten years ago, maybe maybe a little. Um, I, you know, like like so many people, I, I've been such a huge fan of hers for me for, since the first record of hers came out. Um, and she was just one of those people like on a short list of of you know current influences for for everyone almost you know yeah and um because it was it was kind of like a melding of hip-hop as well wasn't it so that was probably very much so yeah yeah it's like mid 90s and her album plantation lullabies came out and i was already really into steve coleman and she had been on she's on a steve coleman record right um but yeah that album came out and it was just like you know and i if you loved Prince, you know, and if you loved hip hop, if you loved Bjork, you know, if you loved, uh, I remember everything but the girl was really huge at the time. Uh, Portishead was really huge at the time. Mm. And, you know, just as a musician, like 
you know, Portishead or Bjork's album Post comes out and Michelle's album uh, Plantation Lullabies comes out right around the same time. And you also have like Soul Coughing is out around the same time. And it's like this like period of like, you know, uh, Mitchell Froom and Chad Blake have the Latin Playboys and it's just like the music is just so cool. And, but Michelle is just, and, you know, I'm a huge fan and, 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 uh, but I, yeah, I, I got to, again, my friend Kifas, um, uh, had a session. It was a writing session where I went over to his studio and I know he had been working with her and they had worked together on a, a couple of her projects. And I had heard him play with her and Chris Bruce and um, uh, uh, Mark Kelly from The Roots, who plays in The Roots now, but Mark was playing with her as, as her bass player. Mm. And DeAnthony Parks, and DeAnthony's a friend. You know, it's just a small world. Um, and, uh, but anyway, uh, so I, I just, at that point I had friends, we had friends in common. And I went over and I knew but I didn't know that she was going to be there. And I, I came over to Kifis's house and I had my double gig bag or my gig bag with two bass slots. <laughs> and uh, I had my bass in it and I had an electric guitar in it, which is usually when I come to writing sessions, I'll have both, you know, and I walked in and I looked and it's, it's, we were writing for this artist who's an Irish artist, actually um, really great, talented artist. And um, yeah, and I looked and there's Kifis, there's the artist, and then there's Michelle. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> like, what am I doing here? Like, why do I have, you know, like a, a base, you know, why would I? Should I come back in, in, in half an hour, guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> and, um, and so I just decided I'm going to play guitar. And, um, but then from there, we just really hit it off. Um, she's such a beautiful incredibly beautiful person has become one of my closest friends. Um, we, so we wrote a couple of things for, for this artist and we had done another session with him. And, and then from there we became, she and I became friends and, uh, man, and that was, you know, and then she, that was also when I was working with that Italian artist and she was just like, you know, she knew I wrote, she was just like, send me ideas for, you know, send me ideas for, I'm writing for my next album. And I was like, oh, geez. And so I started that I had made on my computer and with the guitar and bass or whatever, my hotel room in Italy. And I sent them to her. And then she's like, you know, I didn't hear anything back and we would just text or write about different things or whatever, but I didn't want to push it. And, and then the next time I saw her, we hung out and we all hung out with her, my daughter and, and, um, her family and and then just as I was leaving she said oh yeah I wrote to your song you know like and I was like what what you know and I just closed the door and left and I was like what what song what you know like what did you like you know like and and then fast forward to like maybe a year maybe six months later they're recording that music here in um, LA and because that was in New York where we hung out and and you know fast forward to like you know the recording and then she called me and she was like um, I need you to play bass on the song or maybe Chris Bruce called me. He's like, I need you to play bass on the song. And I was like, okay, I'm playing, bass. I don't know. I don't want to play bass on this song, you know, and cause she wanted me to send her a chart for the song or, or something. Cause I, I did something in my demo. I did this like a, a thing and it's kind of ambiguous. Maybe where the notes, like what 
what note has the bass or whatever. And uh, anyway, I showed up to to the studio and and it turns out we're recording that song. Like, and I didn't know, I didn't know, <laughs> like I didn't know, I didn't know what the, rig- the arrangement is. Like, did you, because a lot of times you'll send an idea and then that idea will get like chopped up and it'll get rearranged and maybe there's a bridge that you don't know about or maybe there's, you know, but it turns out that she had written to the exact, like, you know, maybe it's like three minutes and 40 seconds is what like my demo was. That's how long the song is like the, you know, and, and she had written these amazing lyrics to this idea, this musical idea. I played bass on it and it's the song conviction that's on um, her album comet come to me. And it was just, it was, uh, yeah, that was a beautiful experience and beautiful session for it to, you know, and it was, it, it just, man, it just kind of came together in a crazy way. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so you, and you, you've also produced a couple of your own albums, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the last couple of years, um, I, I just always been really, um, just in awe of all my friends, my close friends making amazing records (laughs) and just like, you know, some of these people I've been talking about, like Shane's record, Second Guess, his first album is so great. And his his album after that, that came out maybe five years later, is just so, so incredible. Ben's records are amazing. And, and Nate, I remember his first album, Reliving. I think he wrote everything and played everything when he was 22 or 23. I remember we were doing Knee Body and he's also just making this ridiculous solo record. <laughs> it was just like where do, you know, where do I fit in here? And Adam was making these amazing records. You know, you just see your friends making records and then you're like, all right, you know, where do I, you know, where do I put my foot in to yeah. the rushing river of, and you put yourself out there. And I've been a sideman for so many years and you, as you maybe know, or lots of bass players listening know, like as a sideman, you just, you stand behind the artist and you're like, you critique everything, you know, like you, ah, you know, like I could have, you know, ah, he's not realizing like he should be playing this song or like, why, why don't we ever go to the soul? You know, like all of that stuff goes out the window when you do your own project. All right. Now now it's your turn. (laughs) Yeah. Now it's your turn. Like put your money where your mouth is. But you know, these players, you know, it's that kind of mindset of we're, you know, we're meant to, we're in the background, you know, I didn't become a bass player to be in the, in the spotlight, even though I do run my own band and stuff like that. It's not, um, you know, I'm not out the front playing bass melodies with the guys. Right. I write, I write music for, for the band, you know, and I play bass in the band. Um, right. And, and that, and yeah, as bass players, that's a, that's a, that's a great question to have. And, and that's something like a conversation that to be honest, like, I wish I could have had at a younger age, like just that conversation, like what you just said of, of, because as bass players, we're so used to seeing these, these wonderful bass records, you know, like word of mouth or, you know, Jocko's first record or, yeah. I mean, you know, I was actually, I was listening to some Stanley Clark yesterday with my, with my son, you know, I just very cool. took me right back to being when I was 14 and just being like, wait, you can do this on the bass. Like it, it was like bass from, space you know but it was still it's still incredible music when i hear it i'm like of course that that should that's the correct musical voice for this song yeah some people can do it 
Yeah. And I, you know, I, and more power to them. I, I, I've really felt that pressure to like, if I'm going to have this bass album or if I'm going to have an album, it's got to, you know, am I going to, am I going to be doing this stuff that I, uh, you know, like there's, there's a technical, there's a technicality that I have that I just, or, or, but sometimes I, you know, it's like, it's, is, what am I, what am I putting on display here? Like, what am I to be reviewed in Bass Player Magazine or not? <laughs> well, and, and to be fair, like, you know, I do, I love, I love those people there. And I also, and I, and I love, you know, and it, it was a weird, it's just weird to come to terms with that. You know, it's like, so like, for me, it was just like, I didn't necessarily want to make a record where it's just like, cause I, cause I always been a, like, a collaborator of songwriting. Like I'd always written songs, my own songs, or I'd written songs in bands I was in. And, and then I had this co-writing world and co-producing world where it was, you know, there's that kind of songwriting. And for, so for the, the first record I made, it was just like, so I'd spent, I'd spent years making one record, which is the, the last record that came out, which is uh, now I'm called Haunted This Way. It came out in November of, of 2019. And I spent a long time on it. And it's like, it was a record I was really influenced by, you know, great songwriter records or um, I was listening to a ton to the Plastic Ono band, like Shaved Fish. And and it also had the sound to me, like I, I really like that kind of Sebado sound, like Lou Barlow and Dinosaur Jr. And like this, just this kind of like jagged kind of a sound to it. And so maybe there's a little bit of that in there or something but it was like i was so carefully working on these songs that it just got it got it got pretty cumbersome for me because it's like oh my god like i kept looking at all my friends and their projects and then they're just kind of moving on with their lives and like they have album one album two album three and i'm just like still working on the chorus for this one song <laughs> you know what i mean and so while i was doing that i finished that record and I remember taking it to a good friend of mine who's a great bass player out here and just like, I just want to, I just want to put this by you. Like, what do you think of this? And um, anyway, I had it suggested by him and a couple other people that like, they're like, do you want to make a bass record? Like, they're like, I love this album. Like, I love how it sounds and everything, but like, do you want to make a bass record? And I was like, I'm just picturing like a, you know, like, you know, playing Donna Lee or, you know, like, like, is that what that means? Like, it does it have to be like that. And, you know, I should know better that it doesn't have to be like that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, you know, I, I ended up making this album light of love, which is, you know, my first record, but technically it's my second. Cause I hadn't, you know, I made that album and that album was so much fun to make. And it came out of uh, jam sessions with friends uh, with my dear friend, Scott Seaver, who was a drummer from, Denver, um, but who also plays with uh, Tenacious D and Amy Mann and plays with a lot of a lot of people, and also with Chris Dave, the drummer Chris Dave, and, and we got together and and just had some sessions where I had a lot of ideas, like some ideas, but then I also had these sessions where it was like, um, you know, we just jam when we come to like we come to a figure that feels really cool, and then I would come back and like call that material and find like okay from here to here is like this cool moment. Okay, let's put that in a folder and on and on and on. I'm guessing you've got a few folders with cool <laughs> ideas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a cool idea is in the eye of the beholder. You know what I mean? Like it's just 
and and so that album light of love was so much fun to make because it was it was it was it was way more uh carefree and it was uh and it was way more collaborative so like that's where you know becca stevens and i we wrote a song the song a little too late and and gabby moreno and i wrote a song uh and uh, mike viola and i wrote a song and then i had this this bass line that was this cool riff that we all jammed over and then nicholas payton played over that song and and uh i actually i had his um cousin max moran on the podcast his cousin is max moran yeah baseball wow. uh who lives in uh, new orleans Julians, yeah oh man <laughs> oh what family Jeez. yeah yeah i mean yeah he he's incredible. or nick nicholas is is just so incredible and and talk about a polymath like he plays yeah incredible drums and double bass and great you know he does it in his band where he'll play fender Rhodes and play trumpet man he's good jeez but um yeah so it was it was it felt really good to finally you know <laughs> you know put and and with me with my weird rambly career uh it, it just it really felt good to start making albums under my own name because because there's nothing like you know like i think for anybody that you meet that you know has a career in music like people know them for certain pockets that they're in like you know like yeah. certain people know me as like i'm that bass player that played in that italian band i'm the italian bass player or like i'm the knee body guy or i'm the guy who you know worked with whatever you know like there's there's always these like pockets and there's nothing like making your own thing uh that just kind of like you know it's just kind of a snapshot of where you're at and what and what you're doing and yeah and i guess that goes into like there's the danger you make your own thing and then people don't hire you anymore because you think that you're a school <laughs> artist and you're often <laughs> your own right. thing. <laughs> oh god yeah there's i mean there's a danger in everything right you know it's just like i, I you know i i but i do know what you mean like that that is that is <laughs> that is a danger of like and I, and I and i think there are people that that don't make their own projects because they're they're very cognizant of that and i hopefully hopefully you know this is you know knock on wood like i just love being a, a collaborator and i love um i love working with people on their projects and and um whether it's like as a sideman or or getting to write with them or getting to produce a song or work on something and but i also really love uh to you know to make my own music too you know which which you know why why not be able to do all that stuff yeah. And it's, you know, it's easier than ever nowadays to, to produce it and put it out there. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Uh, one of the more recent recordings as well that I enjoyed is the Bob Reynolds guitar band. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty cool project. Yeah. And that's, that was an incredible project in that it was, it was, that was really funny in a way. It's, it's a really cool record. Um, and it was, but really that, that record was uh, a night. It was, it was, he booked a gig at the, the, at the Blue Whale, which is, you know, I was a wonderful place here in LA. 
And right around the time of NAM, so that's when a lot of musicians are in town in Los Angeles. You have people that wouldn't normally be here. Some people, and Mark Lettieri from uh, uh, Texas was here, guitar player, and Nira Felder was here, and then Sput was here, and and then we had a gig, and and Bob booked this gig, and and Bob had these songs that were really great songs, just and really just straightforward. Like there's not a lot of like crazy twists and turns but he's like we're going to record this we're also going to record it in video like we're going to do a video thing and like we had never gotten together to rehearse nothing like we just were just reading that i mean he'd given us the music ahead of time yeah. but but it was like it was a really cool uh exercise in in just like okay this is going to be for posterity like whether you know it or like it or not and and it ended up being this beautiful night that was captured and it's like the video is really beautiful yeah cool but he's really (laughs) (laughs) yeah because we had never we did two sets we did two sets and some of the songs we did twice but you know the crowd's just right there on top of us and It it looked quite warm would that be correct yeah, it was. Yeah, we got it. We all have a balmy kind of like, it was kind of sweaty. And you know, what was funny was, uh, um, I remember going on the road with Kneebody to Europe a couple of years later, or that album had been out. Bob is just so, he's so good. He's such a great musician. And he's also his sense of his business and his music and his sights and all that stuff is just so dialed in what you're saying uh, he's got his shit together he's (laughs) he's such inspiration i'm like uh i'm 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 very much in awe and um and the music really stands for itself it's really fantastic but i was telling him i was i was writing him a text message that everywhere i went on that knee body tour wherever we were like all the things that i've been a part of and i've done and you know gotten to play with people um nothing about any of like when i talked to people after a show like maybe we're selling cds or t-shirts or whatever and everyone was just coming up just being like oh bob reynolds you play with bob reynolds and i was like man it was just one gig man a great gig i, lo- I loved yeah. it i'd love to do more and, and we actually did we did uh well, he's super visible on on youtube right i mean if you're searching for jazz stuff he he pops up and so it's yeah it's it's one of those things because i i i get turned on to him from checking out a bunch of yannick guzdala stuff right right that's right and i heard uh i heard yannick's uh interview with you um, oh yeah it was yeah one, it was one of my very first ones that was a great interview um yeah exactly uh um yeah so that was a that was that was a cool experience and we and we did a few more of those like and it would be it would be like every year right around the name show there would be a gig and they were, they were always really fun did you ever check out um kind of related but did you ever check out the john patitucci guitar quartet album no no what who's who's on who's on that what is that uh it's, so it's it's kind of like john patitucci on his new custom yamaha, hollow body kind of yeah, thing yamaha uh, electric thing Right. Um, and then there's the two guitar players whose names uh, are blank, but I will quickly Google um, Patitucci because it's it's. I think you'd I think you'd actually I think you'd really dig it. I think it's kind of up your alley. Is Patitucci um, an influence, an inspiration to you? And in, I mean, did you ever get 
into what he did? I, I, he, he, he wasn't really, I, I, I mean, I've always had huge respect for him as he was really popular when I was starting as a bass player, the Chick Corea electric band and acoustic band were just massive. Um, but I, I just kind of, I, I kept that at arm's length, um, for whatever reason. And I didn't, I didn't really dive into it, but everything I've ever seen and heard of of him has been fantastic. I mean that that guy's that guy's amazing. He's incredible. And um, oh, there, um there, Brian Blade, Adam right. Rogers, and Steve Cardenas. That's right. Steve Cardenas plays in that band. I remember I hearing about that. Killer on that as well. Man, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, well, that's it's that's incredible. That's what it's called. Not not the guitar thing. But yeah, I think it was like a guitar quartet because it's two electric guitars, electric bass, and drums. It's pretty cool. Well, geez, um, that's what I'm going to listen to tonight. That's, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Maybe um, quickly, just you, you're definitely a P-bass guy. Yeah. 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 I have a lot of other basses, but the, the one that's bass in that rack, because uh, in most of the stuff I've seen and heard, it's, it's definitely P-bass or like, like music master or something just kind of like one pickup neck pickup vibe yeah yeah i i um i've i've got you know a couple of jazz basses and um a couple you, of those you, you flats? <laughs> i have well i've i've got no the jazz basses are with round wounds i've got four p basses two of them have flats on them i've got a couple of those music masters those have round wounds i've got a hoffner and a couple of those Gibson basses, the EB2 and EBO. Okay. And, uh, hollow body things. Yeah, one one of the EB2 is the hollow body, and then the EBO is the like the SG kind of a thing. And that's that sounds amazing, but it's it's just never really made it onto anything because it's 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 got a, it's just I just find for me that a lot of the times, um, it just always kind of comes back to the P bass for me. Yep. Um, I've got a, uh, a music man, Stingray, one of the, like the Bernard Edward era. Mm. And um, sometimes these things find themselves on recordings, but a lot of times it's either the P bass, which is the, the number one I usually play. Um, so they kind of blue? Or, you got, it's like a kind of blue. Yeah, yeah. It's like the greenish, bluish one. Or crazy. Uh, and uh, this guy right here. It's seen a few gigs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is it a, a an indentation yeah. after the pick guard where your thumb rests? Yeah, that's where the thumb goes. It's yeah, it's just been it's been worn down. It's a it's a sixty four um, P bass, but but I've had it um, for I I think I've had it for uh, maybe fifteen years. Um, I, I got it on the road. Nate and I were on the road, and we got it in um. We got it in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota at um, Willie's Guitars. And I ended up maybe two years ago buying another bass, a jazz bass at Willie's Guitars. Yeah. Um, that's a great shop, actually. <clears throat> um, but yeah, usually the, um, if, if, if I'm lucky enough to get called into a session where, you know, sometimes with a new producer or, or a new artist, you kind of want to bring all your tools, you know, and you don't want to just show up with one instrument. And, uh, I, uh, 
I'll bring, you know, maybe a number of instruments and uh, little by little, and, and it's always cool. It's like, oh, let's hear what this one sounds like. And let's hear what this, and little by little, it just kind of gets whittled down to this, <laughs> this bass. But um, this bass or a Hofner, like you're Hofner. That's partly because that's really where you're at home playing as well. And you totally, where you're more expressive on it. I agree. I agree. I, I, it's not to say that that I couldn't, you know, if 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 my number one had been like the yeah. jazz or whatever, it wouldn't be that. And, and for years, for me, the the only bass I ever owned, the only electric was was one of the jazzes that I have. Like that was from 1995 to probably you know 2006. You know, it was it was just that one bass. You know, so. if you want to play those Michelle lines, you have to have that jazz bass bite right i guess so yeah yeah <laughs> uh and do you do you ever take any like outboard gear to sessions like a di or or, or a preamp or something like that that you go this is this is part of it or you i have sometimes and and that just depends uh i've got yeah like uh one of the bae the the 10, uh, 1173 okay or uh the uh i've got uh tone hammer tube di direct box uh Aguilar thing no uh oh no not tone hammer there's uh it's called the uh i misspoke it's called the tone craft the company's called tone craft and they make a uh, tube di that's oh, really nice. that's a massive big it is yeah and i'll i'll bring one of those or i've i've got a tone hammer the Aguilar pedal or um uh di as well yeah. but and i have brought those on some uh recordings um and then some i just don't or sometimes i'll bring an amp and sometimes i don't you know yeah. any amp preferences that you like speaker sizes 15s um well i play uh uh professionally i i play uh aguilar uh speakers and 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 amps uh they've been uh, just really great for me for live for live stuff for years uh, and such a supportive company and um, so I'll either bring um, a cabinet of theirs and I also have um, a uh, an Ampeg SB12 that all um, just a 12 inch speaker mm. sometimes for for like like kind of a, uh, a like a mic sound that's that's a nice warmed it's just like a flip top kind of a thing yeah. with a smaller smaller speaker okay and i'll um and then you know depending on what the project is i'll but i'll, I'll a lot of times i'll bring a, a bunch of a bunch of different effects and pedals and stuff if it's like a thing where i'm there to write um and be Creative. over creative yeah it's they'll they'll be you know different yeah there'll be delays and distortions and stuff but if it's a you know a straight up bass session it's more like i'll have an octave or two and a tuner yeah exactly um but actually you know a pedal that's really great is um you know kurt biscara the great drummer yeah he has made a bass pedal <laughs> is it is yeah. it just a mute <laughs> <laughs> totally it's an awesome pedal caveat made for you especially <laughs> yeah yeah this this pedal it's called the grease juicer <laughs> classic it's it's an envelope filter but it's cool i love great. it it's, it's so it's so so cool do you yeah. have it plugged in just now i do i do yeah um yeah so like so like 
you know, you know, I, li I like that kind of like bubbly, but like nice, just dark, you know, having it kind of, you know, come out every now and then. So is that, is that in production? Like you can order it kind of thing or? Yeah. Yeah. I think you can. Um, he'd be psyched if I, if I said this, I'm absolutely receiving no compensation. In fact, I bought this pedal. <laughs> it's really funny. He's just like, his partner is just like, yeah, you want this pedal, you know? And it's like, it's going to be X amount of dollars. I was like, cool. All right. I'm doing it, you know, but, and I'm, I've been so, uh, so ha happy with it. It's, it's made its way onto a lot of different things. Have you, have you had much chance to play with Kurt Pesquera? Uh, a, a a fair amount in the last few years. Um, yeah, um, we th there's a band, there's a band that he has with Toss Panos and Satnam Rangotra, that is this really cool group that sometimes I'll play bass, or sometimes another bass player will, and Darren Johnson will sometimes play keyboards or Jeff Babco, and uh, and that's a really fun band where it's it's just a groove group where it's all improvised and the three of them have such a hookup, those three drummers and uh, yeah. you know, the, the, you know, bass and keys will just kind of like figure out where to fit in or we'll start something and then they'll. I get, I get turned on to a lot of these um, like toss panels and stuff by listening to the, I hit that podcast. Yes. Were you, yes. Were you a guest on that? I was. Yeah. 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 That, that, That's that, an amazing collection of interviews. It really is. There's so much great, and and I don't know if he's done done stuff in a little while. I you know yeah for whatever reason he brought it back. Um, he brought it back with like a Patreon thing, and I was like, all right, if this is what it takes to, to for you to keep making interviews, um, I signed up and I was you know subscribed to his Patreon, but then he just kind of dropped off. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I was kind of worried actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to reach out to him um, because yeah, I I agree. I, it was it was so so great to to hear that you know, and some people I know really well, and some people I've heard of, and yeah. just to hear hear their stories has always been so you know fascinating. Yeah, and, and that was kind of like when I started when this became a thing because yeah. this podcast thing just kind of like grew. I was like, oh okay, I guess I'm making podcasts now, but his style was something that I kind of wanted to try and keep in mind like conversational trying to get to questions that maybe don't always ask or you know right yeah like no holds barred as well if you whatever you want to talk about or say that that's cool but yeah maybe not quite as um gritty as Dave <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, he'll go there yeah <laughs> I really like that about him well I'm gonna um call it a day there I'll let you go and um probably not go get ready for a gig but whatever your rest of your friday night entails <laughs> okay yeah um yeah uh it's it's been such a pleasure uh talking to you and um Thanks, and getting to and getting to getting to talk to you i mean you know i don't know when this is going to air but I, I i imagine that uh, you know the problems that we're facing in the world will still very much be there so it's it's just been nice having this conversation it's been really great same here man i really appreciate you taking the time um if people want to reach out or you know check out what you're doing instagram's a good place i'm guessing totally yeah instagram's great um i you know i have a website and uh, a youtube and all that stuff but 
but you can always reach me um, kind of anywhere. It's pretty easy to find. Yeah, I mean, I, I got you, so it can't be that hard. Yeah, yeah. Good job. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. All right, Kevin, thank you so much for um, taking the time to hang out with me. It's my pleasure, Craig. Thank yeah. you. I'll see you next time. Thanks, man. All right, cheers. Bye. Bye. 